My name is Stan Grant. I'm the pastor of Clover Hill. And, and for you that are with us today, that you teach in our school system, private, home, school, whatever, uh, administrators, we just want to say a great big thank you. This day is all about just honoring and, and encouraging and, and loving on you. We appreciate your energy and your time and your commitment and your passion and your heart and your desire to impact and influence our kids. We thank you for your conviction that you want to make a difference. And we just want you to know this morning it's not gone unnoticed. We value you as very important in our lives because you're touching our kids. We thank you for coming alongside of us as parents and helping our students become better learners, but also better people. I know some of you might teach computers and PE, but you're also teaching character and perseverance. Some of you are in a classroom where the subject matter is math and history, but you're teaching morals and honesty. And for every fact you put in their head, you sow seeds of hope into their hearts. And the Bible says, give honor where honor is due. And we honor those in the field of education. We thank God for your lives, and we're glad that you're here. The Bible says that if you cause one of my little ones to stumble, if you get in the way of one of my kids, it would be better for you to tie a rock around your neck and jump off the James River Bridge than to make a kid stumble. So on the flip side, I think you could imply... That if you are investing, if you're empowering, if you're impacting, if you're influencing a kid, then you have the, uh, you, you, you deserve honor. You deserve, you deserve praise. And we, we just, as, as the pastor and leader of Clover Hill, we just want to bless you guys. Thank you. We appreciate you. And we want to give you one more. We'll give you several hand claps. But you're worthy of our honor. And I, I know, I know you work with kids, and you probably got a lot more stories than I do about them, but, but I, I've, got, I've got five kids, and I tell my church all the time, I got five kids, not because I love kids. I got five kids because I, I, I love their mom, really love their mom. And, and, uh, and, and I, I've got them all the way from five to 22. And, and my five-year-old went to Winter Park Elementary this school this year for the first time. She's a kindergarten, got on the bus, so excited to be going, driving a bus, got some new glasses for school. She was, she was just pumped, and she gets off the bus. All the parents are there picking up their kids. and I mean, it's a big day, first day of school. Yeah, big day, exciting day. Dad, I love elementary school. That's the best elementary school I have ever been to, and I can't wait to go back there tomorrow. And, and so I'm, yeah, it's elementary school, Maddie, not... But that's okay. There's another story I love to tell about Dr. Graham. You heard of Billy Graham, haven't you? Most everybody's heard of Billy Graham. I hope. Boy, Billy Graham was a great evangelist, and he was having a crusade in a, in a particular city. And, and, and this little boy was walking on the road, and Dr. Graham was looking for the post office. So he stopped the little fellow and said, hey, man, can you? I'm sure he didn't say, hey, man. He, Dr. Graham probably did not talk like that. But he asked the boy where he could find the post office. And so he gave him directions. Dr. Graham said, thanks so much. If you come to the meeting tonight, you come to the rally tonight, I'll tell you how to get to heaven. And that little boy thought for a moment, kind of tilted his head and said, you know, I don't think I'm coming to that meeting. If you don't know how to get to the post office, you sure can't tell anybody how to get to heaven. <laughs> you got to love kids and what, they, and what they say. But this is what I know about children. They all have a dream. It may lie dormant or undiscovered or yet undetected. It could be broken or undeveloped, hidden beneath the rubble of past mistakes. But every kid has a dream. A dream is a hope of what could be. 
that their lives could make a difference and that they could fulfill their destiny. See, at the time of conception, God formed us, God created us in our mother's womb, and He put a seed of potential, He put a seed of possibility, He put a seed of what could be. It's in every person, it's in every human. And it's our job as people of God and influencers and teachers and parents and grandparents to tap into that seed, to pull out the potential and help our kids become all they can be. And that's what you are. You're a dream releaser. And that's what I want, to see your, I want you to see yourself as. You just don't go in a classroom and teach a subject. You are tapping on the cage of young lives, hoping that you one day, because of your, your words and your influence, you can open up the cage and release your students to fly and to be all that God ordained. You know, when you release a dream, it's a, a dream release lifts an Abraham Lincoln from poverty into the Oval Office. A dream release can free a hopeless Helen Keller from a dark, mute life sentence and transform her into a world-renowned author and the master of six languages. A dream release can teach Thomas Edison to put a, film, uh, a thin filament in a vacuum tube and light up the world. A dream can release can, can make a bicycle fly on the wings of wind at Kitty Hawk. And, and that's teachers, administrators, coaches, parents, grandparents, anyone who works with kids. We have the potential to be dream release, releasers. We've been entrusted by God with a certain amount of influence, with a certain amount of authority. And if entrusted and it's stewarded right, we can transform lives. If abused, it can paralyze and suffocate those under our influence. If used right, it can release dreams that otherwise would remain stranded on a distant shore. I, I, I want you to see yourself as a dream release. And I don't ever to underestimate the power of a dream. Back in 1963, Martin Luther King had a dream. He stood on the Lincoln Memorial Steps and with thousands of people in the audience, he began, to, he began to paint a picture, a dream, a future of what could be. And he said, let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friends, and so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It's a dream rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise out and live up the true meaning of its creed. That we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even in the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, a state sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. A nation shook under the power of one man's dream. A nation was changed and is continuing to change because of one man's vision. I, I thank God for a Martin Luther King, but I, I can only see the potential of the kids around my table or the kids in, in your classroom. If one man's vision can shake a nation, what could happen if we tapped into the dreams and the vision and the purpose and the potential and the destiny found in the kids that we minister to and influence? What could happen if we, if we really became dream releasers? And I, I, I want to help you. What does that look like? What does that mean? What, what will that entail? Dreams are cultivated in an atmosphere of love. See, love creates a greenhouse effect that allows life to flourish. It produces an atmosphere where dreams can be 
release. This is our job, parents, teachers, to cultivate, to create an atmosphere of love. There, uh, there was a guy, Old Testament character, his name was Joseph, and, and Joseph was born to his father, Jacob, in Jacob's old age. And so Joseph was the favored, favored son, and Jacob made no bones about it. Everybody knew Joseph was the favorite. And, 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 and I'm, not, I'm not encouraging or I'm not, I'm, not a, 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 I'm not saying parent like Jacob did, but for whatever reason, Joseph knew he was loved. He was made a coat of many colors. And it says Joseph was the favored son and Joseph had a dream. And I don't think it's, it's a coincidence or it's, a, 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 it's just a chance that Joseph was one of the only brothers that had a dream. No, I think, I think the Bible is true that says perfect love cast out fear. When you are in an environment of affirmation and love, unconditional love, it, it allows you to flourish and to thrive. It allows you to press through the fear of failure or the fear of rejection. Perfect love, unconditional love, love that, that's not based on a person's past or their performance or their potential, a love that's just based on who they are, creates an environment where they can become all that God wants them to be. There's a little girl by the name of Allie, long time ago, had a teacher by the name of Miss Leonard, and, and uh, everybody loved Miss Leonard. She just, she loved her class, did a great job, but Allie was born with a cleft palate, and so she was disfigured and, and, and was, 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 was messed up and, 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 and was just very embarrassed about it, very ashamed of it. And uh, she'd go to school, and you know kids can be mean, and, and so they would, they would make fun of her. Back in that day, they didn't have the medical facility like they do today, and and so instead of telling somebody she was born like that, she would tell them she fell and slipped on a piece of glass and she cut her mouth. She was convinced that the only people that could love her were those in her immediate family. Until Miss Leonard did a hearing test. Back in that day, they'd take the students and one, the student would get on the outside of the door, the teacher on the inside of the door, and they would whisper something. And so Miss Leonard would say, the sky is blue. And the student had to respond and repeat what the teacher just said. What color are your shoes? And the student had to read. Well, Miss Leonard not only given Allie a reading test, I mean a hearing test, she wanted to go beyond that. And so she spoke some words that were going to change that girl's life forever. And she whispered through that, that door, Allie, I love you, and I wish you were my daughter. And there was no response on the other side. And so Miss Leonard didn't think she heard her. And so she said it again, Allie, I love you. And I wish you were my daughter. About that time, she heard crying and, and eventually sobbing. And, 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 and not only did she realize that she heard and understood what she said, Allie's hearing was right. But Miss Leonard, through words of affirmation and, and an atmosphere of love, tapped on that little girl's heart and let her know that she's special, that she's got possibility, that she has potential, that, that, that she has... See, see, love, dreams are released. In an atmosphere of love. Here's another thing about dreams that I, that I want you to know. And before I get to that next point, you know what the Bible says? If I speak in tongues of men or angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You know, you know what that means, teacher? If I get up and I'm so eloquent in my delivery and I, I've got my lesson laid out just right, but if, I have no, if I'm not loving, I'm nothing. If I have faith that can move mountains and I, I have wisdom that can, can solve every mystery, but if I don't have love, if I've got it all together and I, 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 I'm, doing the, I'm just doing an awesome job, but I don't have love. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I'm nothing. See, love, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these 
is love. Love, love, love creates an atmosphere where dreams can be released. Here's another thing about dreams. Dreams, dreams are cultivated, or, or rather dreams germinate in the greenhouse of affirmation. And then this is, this is what I mean. Here, here's what I mean, Proverbs 18, 21. There's life and death in the power of the tongue. See, you can, the tongue, our words can become modifiers, our self-fulfilling prophecy in the lives of our children. Do you know 90% of the inmates in jail today, they had an adult figure, uh, an authoritative figure in the, their life, tell them one day you're going to end up in prison. 90%. Why is that? Because there's life and death in the power of the tongue. That's why I've seen, I've seen parents introduce their kids. They become, words become modifiers, and, and kids begin to believe that they are that and begin to act it out. Here's my, Jill, my, my shy child, Jill, as she cowers behind her mom's leg because she's been told that, and she's just living it out. Here's my difficult child, Derek, as he growls some evil growl and sets his little sister's hair on fire because he's been told all his life that see words are are powerful our words are like seeds that germinate in young hearts you want your child to have confidence and self-esteem to have conviction and character and become a responsible kid or do you want a kid that's going to grow up to hate himself and lash out at others who struggles with depression and a hard time with life in general the seeds that we sow they're important the words that we speak are valuable. They either build up or tear down. They either produce hope or cause problems. Uh, when Jesus, you know, you know, Jesus left heaven, he came to earth, fully man, fully God. He was going to begin his, his earthly ministry at 30 years old. He'd been doing the planning, the preparing, the ready, and he goes out to John the Baptist to be baptized. And you remember the dialogue they kind of go back and forth. You need to baptize me. No, you need to baptize me. And Jesus finally says, you got to do this, John, to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus comes up out of the water, and there's a voice from heaven that declares, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You know, many argue that those words for the crowds confirming that this was the son of God. I argue that these were words for Jesus, that a heavenly father was confirming and expressing his love affirming Jesus' worth and value, letting him know that his life was pleasing to his Father. He was using words of affirmation and encouragement. And Jesus was going to need these words when Satan was tempting him and when the religious leaders were opposing him and when his friends were betraying him and when soldiers were spitting and beating on him. Those words would echo loud in his heart and his mind. They would be a constant reminder of God's approval, a source of hope in the midst of suffering and pain. Jesus was able to fulfill his mission and purpose because he knew his father loved him, that his father was for him. I remember, you, you remember reading about was Saul, he became Paul. Maybe you haven't, let me tell you very quickly. Saul was a, he was a killer. I mean, he was destroying the church. He hated Jesus, hated Christianity. And so he was getting, he was getting, uh, opportunity and that the kings were were allowing him to go into different cities and just kill the christians put him in jail and so one day he's headed to damascus and he has an encounter with christ and he falls from his horse and he hears this voice and he surrenders his life to jesus and and, and a, a small period of time passes and he wants to tell people about jesus he's he's converted he's changed he's transformed but nobody's believing him 
Nobody wants to give him an opportunity. No pastor has given him his pulpit. Nobody wants, uh, it's just a trick. Saul's going to, he's going to invite you to hear about Jesus, and then he's going to know who the real Christians are, and he's going to kill you. Everybody's ostracizing him, don't want anything to do with him, until one guy comes along, Barnabas. You know what, you know what his name meant? Son of encouragement. That's what I want my name to be known as. I want to be an encourager. I want to be a dream releaser. I want to be a life giver. And he comes alongside Saul, now Paul, and says, this guy's legit. He's the real deal. He's had an encounter. You've got to accept him. You've got to embrace him. And the rest is history. Missionary journeys, churches started, wrote a third of the New Testament. I think in large part because of a dream releaser named Barnabas who came alongside of him and spoke into his heart and life tapped on his cage and allowed him to fly. I know the power of encouraging words. I'm sure you do as well. I am who I am in large part because of a high school coach by the name of Freddie Mitchell who believed in me, saw potential in me, who spoke words of of life over me. If I heard it once, I heard it a million times. Stan, you're a diamond in a rug. You're going to do great things. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fighting the dog. And, and, and I, I remember we were at a, I was a junior in high school. We were at a Fort Eustis tournament. 5,000 people had come to watch this tournament, basketball tournament. One of the biggest tournaments of the year is over Christmas break. And I, I, I'm, I'm bringing the ball up the floor. We'd set up a play where I'm going to get my responsibility. All I got to do is get the ball in our best scorer's hand. And so I'm bringing the ball up the court. The score's tied. Clock's ticking away. The guy defending me turns me one way, turns me another, steals the ball from me, goes in with a buzzer sound and lays a layup. We lose by two points. I'm in the middle of this field. Crowd is screaming, yelling. I'm 17 years old, man. I've just cost my team the game. I'm, I'm feeling like a heel. I'm wanting to get under the gym floor. I, I mean, I'm just, I, my life is, it's ruined. At least I'm thinking. I'm 17. It's ruined. And Coach Mitchell comes out on the floor and he puts his arm around me. He says, he knew knew I knew I messed up. He didn't have to tell me what I did. He knew how bad I'd done. He said, Stan, I'm proud of you. And I'd rather you have you on my team as my point guard than any other guard in the district. He was lying. He was so lying. He didn't mean that. But it helped a 17-year-old boy that's, that's life was ruined over a mistake. Somebody that still believed in me. Somebody that still cared about me. There's, there, there is life and death in the power of our words. We have enough reminders in our lives. that we, You don't got to tell me when I mess up or blow it. I, I live with it daily. I know my struggles. I know the issues that I deal with. We don't need more people doubting us, telling us what we can't do. We need some people that will believe in us, that will encourage us with words of affirmation, that will see what past what is and see the potential and realize the possibility, that will build and instill confidence into our lives, that will come alongside of us, put, our, put their arms around us, and convince us we're going to make it. That's what teachers do. That's what, that's what parents do. That's what coaches do. They don't try to fulfill their dreams through their kids. They help their kids fulfill their own dreams. See, here's the third thing about dreams. Dreams are released when potential is realized. I, I've, I've been touching on this really the whole talk, but this is what you got to do. Don't look at your young dreamers as they are. See them as what they could be. Potential is never what you've already done. That's not potential. That's the past. That's the record of of what's happened. 
potential will always be what you can still do. When the Hebrews saw Moses, they saw, saw a selfish murderer. But God saw the author of the first five books of the Bible. When others saw Peter, a rash, impulsive fisherman, God saw a rock upon which he would build his church. When others saw David as just a shepherd boy, God saw a giant killer and a future king. When others saw young Mary as just a teenager, God chose her to carry the Savior of the world. When others just saw a nerdy Pharisee named Paul, God saw the writer of a third of the New Testament. Don't look at your dreamer as they are. See them with eyes of what could be, of what could be. I, I, I mentioned Coach Mitchell, but there's been other dream releasers in my life, other people that have come alongside and tapped on, 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 on what I was bound by and, and released my life so that I could fly. One of them was Mr. Turner, my fourth grade teacher. And we, I'm a military brat, and so we moved about every three years. And it was difficult. I mean, you just get adjusted, you just get connected, and, and you, you're moving to the next city. And, and we were in Hawaii, suffering for Uncle Sam in Hawaii. Terrible, terrible place. Some, somebody had to do it. And, and Hawaii was a lot of fun. I mean, it was aloha, and I can't even remember what we used to do. Shorts and flip-flops to school. Soon as the bell rung, most of us would, would uh, a lot of head to the beach. I mean, it was just a really laid-back environment and culture. And, and education was not a high priority in Hawaii back in the 70s. just wasn't a high priority. And so I, I was way behind. And I get to Texas, and I mean, I'm still trying to add and subtract. And they're multiplying, and, and they're doing all this. I didn't even know. You know, I didn't even know there's double-digit numbers. I didn't know that. I mean, I've been living in Hawaii for three years. And I come to Texas, and I don't fit in. You know, I'm trying to wear shorts and Hawaiian tank tops, and they're wearing cowboy hats and boots. Who wears boots and cowboy hats to school? Who does that? But they did it. And so I'm not fitting in, and, and, and I just don't. And, and I get a note. Mr. Turner gives me a note. It's sealed. It says, take it home. Don't open it till you get home. I'm, 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 I, it's just it's a terrible year. It's about six weeks into the year. Terrible. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. I get home, and my mom opens up the letter, and little tears start coming down her eye. I'm like, well, okay, what did I do? What, what have, how have I messed up? What did I do this time? And she goes, Mr. Turner just wrote and just said, you're a, you're a, you're a, it's a privilege to have you in class, and, and you're adjusting well coming from Hawaii, and, and I can't think of our class without your involvement. And again, he was lying. But for a fourth grader that was struggling, for a fourth grader that was struggling, and a teacher that would take the time to just write a paragraph about how, how pleased he was with my progress and, and how honored he was to, to be called my teacher. I mean, it just changed my world. You know what I did? You know what I did for Mr. Turner the rest of the year? I gave him my best. I mean, I went, I went above and beyond because he was somebody that believed in me. And that's what kids do. When they find somebody that will believe in them, that will pour their life into them, they'll give them their best. Another teacher by the name of Miss Fletcher, 10th grade. Now we'd moved to Newport News, and again, we just lived there a year, but I mean, we, my dad retired. You don't care about that, but I'm in Miss Fletcher, Fletcher's class. Too many details. Miss Fletcher's class. I remember partly because she wore the same skirt two or three times a week. I'm not lying. Same skirt. And it looked like a Pizza Hut tablecloth. I mean, checkered red. I still can't go to Pizza Hut today. I get flashbacks of periodic tables and Miss Fletcher and her skirt. But, I, but I, I tell you, Miss Fletcher would not, she would not settle 
for average. She, she would, and I, I was a student then that, that whatever I could get by with, that's what I was going to do. I mean, I was just there to play ball, and, and, and grades were, again, secondary. And, and so she wouldn't allow that. She, she, I mean, she wasn't going to allow me to be a C student. She was determined I was going to be a B-minus student. That, that was, I mean, she was determined. She'd make me stay after school. She'd work with me. She'd recite those things with me. She, she'd catch me. I mean, just, t- just, just, just depositing things in my life. You know what I did for Miss, for Miss Fletcher? Gave her my best. Gave her my best. I'm tell- when so- you know, another, we're talking to teachers, but also parents today. I want to involve us. I, I went to college to be a teacher. I was going to be a secondary ed teacher. I mean, secondary ed, teach, teach history, and coach basketball. And here, here was my goal. I was going to win a state championship, and I was going to go be a principal at an elementary school because I wanted a walkie-talkie, and I wanted to walk around the school and help kids on and off the bus. And, you know, that was just my dream. Shh, principal stand here. Here comes old Johnny. He's going to make it to class. Everything's fine. And, Oh, here comes Susie. Here, Susie. You know, that was my dream. I just wanted to have the walkie-talkie. And so my dad sent me to, to school to learn, paid a lot of money. And about the middle of my junior year, I go, Dad, I know you paid all this money, and I'm going to be a teacher, but I think God's called me into ministry. And I, I think he wants me to preach and pastor. And my dad, you know what my dad didn't do? He didn't say, oh, you didn't hear God. I've already spent all this money. There's, there's no way you're going to be able he, he was like, hey, if that's what you think God's doing, then I want to come alongside and help. I want to be an encourager. And he said, if you're a teacher or if you're a preacher, you're going to be the best teacher and the best preacher that you can possibly be. And that's just, that's just words of life. And, and there are kids coming to your classrooms that don't have fathers like that, don't have mothers like that. You got to be that affirming voice. You, you know, that, there ain't nothing to affirm in their life. Keep looking. There's something. Keep digging. Keep going after it. They are a diamond in a rough. You just got to chip away all the junk and all the mess and all the issues so that you can get to it. And when you get to it, there'll be more reward and more fulfillment. There's not enough money to pay you for the reward and the fulfillment you'll feel of, of tapping into a kid's life and to help bring out the potential and realizing what God created in the beat. Dream release. Was I 22 years old. Am I boring you? 22 years old. I, I, I'm at my first church. And uh, David Daniels, hero, hero of mine. Pastor of a little church on the Outer Banks. Family friend invited me to be his youth pastor. I hadn't been there long and he asked me to preach on a Sunday morning. I, mean, I hadn't preached. Not, there was 120 people there that day. I'm, I mean, I'm, I, I'm, that's, I can't do that. I'm 22. What is going on? I get up to preach, and my first sermon was seven minutes. Some of you said, that's the best sermon you've ever preached. <laughs> seven minutes. I told them everything I knew in seven minutes. Really, I told them everything I knew twice. I said it in three and a half minutes, and then I said it again. Second three and a half minutes. So discouraged. I can't do this. God didn't call me. I'm, I, I'm never going to, you know, just all that doubt, condemnation, just all that. I mean, just self-pity and all that mess. And again, thank God for dream releases. Pastor Daniels came up to me, knew I failed, knew I'd blown it. He didn't have to tell me. Everybody knew it. Put his arm around me, saying that was a great sermon. Lying, 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 lying. It was a great sermon, and you're going to be a great pastor. I'm so glad God sent you to this church. See, what? I, I'm the beneficiary of dream releases. And I, I, I so thank God for that. And I, you know what I want? You know what I want? I, what I hope for? Every kid 
under our sphere of influence has dream releasers in their life. Not just one, but multiple that will tap on their cage, that will see past what is and what could be, and will release them to fly. See, that's what teachers do. They're dream releasers. And can I, can I, as a church, as the pastor of this church, can I thank you for answering the call to invest and inspire young people to fulfill their destiny? You're not a, just a teacher. You're a dream releaser. You tap on the cage of every young person you influence, and you encourage them to fly. Keep cultivating an atmosphere of love. Keep allowing dreams to germinate with words of affirmation. And keep looking past what is and see what could be. Amen, everybody. Amen.